you know, I believe and I, I really believe that all of our staff believe that children in Rockford deserve um, the best um, experiences, the best opportunities so that they can um, have, you know, a great shot at making it through school and graduating um, from our wonderful system and becoming part of our community. And it really does all start in early childhood. It used to be there was that old saying, everything I ever learned, I learned in kindergarten. It really goes back further than that. Greetings. I'm already happy, everyone. Welcome to the 205 Vibe Podcast. I am your host, Earl Dotson Jr. Um, wow. Mr. Producer just reminded me that this is episode number 35. Super excited about that. And as always, I'm always happy about the fabulous guests that we have. And today, ladies and gentlemen, it's the one and only. And she's already she's already laughing. It's making me laugh. It's 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 Kim Nelson. Uh, who has uh, who who's in charge? Does a great job of running our early childhood department. Uh, she has a very important role, but I'll let her tell you more about that. What what what, what is your official title, Kim? Does it matter? I just call you a boss. <laughs> no, please don't call me a boss. Um, no, thanks, Earl. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I always love having an opportunity to uh, share the work of early childhood and the importance of early childhood. But my actual role is I am the executive director of early childhood for Rockford Public Schools. Um, but for those of you who don't know me at all, um, I've really grown up here in Rockford Public Schools, um, started my career as a teacher here. Um, was an early childhood um, teacher um, working primarily with children um, with disabilities and then moved into being a resource teacher, um, supporting um, inclusion practices um, in our um, early childhood program and then have moved into the role of executive director. You know, uh, that's why Kim is such a pro because like that was like going to be like my first question. No. But she just went right into it. I'm saying she's a pro, ladies and gentlemen. This is consummate pro right here. So thank you for giving your background, Kim. Um, so you know, you, I, I've, 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 we, you and I worked. We worked together. We worked in this is for a while now, and I've got to see your work and some of the things you do. But you know, there's something about our the our youngest learners. Help 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 us understand a little bit about first about your passion. Um, why why are you and I think it, it probably exemplifies other teachers and administrators who work in early childhood. But why do you think the people that work in, in early childhood are so passionate about our youngest learners and just kind of getting them started off on the right foot? So I would say for me, and I'm sure it's similar for a lot of our teachers, it's the excitement of building that foundation. Um, I've always said um, being an early childhood teacher is one of the best jobs ever because you get paid to play. Um, and really, when you think about it, um, young children um, under the age of five, their brains are developing so fast and so much of, of learning that um happens later in life is built upon those first five years. So the first five years are extremely important to a young child. And, um, you know, I believe and I, I really believe that all of our staff believe that children in Rockford deserve um, the best um, experiences, the best opportunities so that they can 
um, have, you know, a great shot at making it through school and graduating um, from our wonderful system and becoming part of our community. And it really does all start in early childhood. It used to be there was that old saying, everything I ever learned, I learned in kindergarten. (laughs) It really goes back further than that. (laughs) And um, our early childhood program actually begins prenatally. So a lot of people may think about our outstanding preschool program that serves our three to five-year-olds prior to entering kindergarten. However, we have this home visiting program that really supports families um, and helping them um, be the best parent that they can be, that parents are the child's first and most, most important teacher. So it's building upon those skills from birth on. So our passion really lies in the fact that um, providing children with these high quality experiences, helping families understand their role and how they support their children in everything, everyday things that they do. And then knowing that we are transitioning our kiddos over into kindergarten where we know our system will take them. We want all kids to enter kindergarten ready to learn. So let me ask you about that. Um, so I, I, you know, as you know, I, 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 the superintendent and I, we visit every school every year since he's been the superintendent. So I, I spend a lot of time in buildings and in, in early, early childhood buildings. One of my favorite things I hear, to, I won't say my favorite things, but one of the things I hear teachers say, uh, no matter at what grade level. So you go to a high school, um, I hear teachers say, boy, man, if those middle school teachers would just do a good job with these kids in middle school, it, you know, we would have them ready and we could do a much better job at high school. And we talk to the middle school teachers and they say, you know, if those elementary school teachers, if they would just get these kids ready and have them ready to learn and ready to go when they get to middle school, man, my job would be so much easier. And then the elementary school say, well, you know, those e- those early those EC teachers. So, Kim, I guess it's, it's all you guys' fault, right? It's all <laughs> Well, actually, we can go back further. Well, <laughs> you want to go back to the very beginning. But, you know, so I guess when you one of the, I'm, I'm curious about that, like that whole when you talk about the foundation, one of the things that I've seen happen just because I've seen you all work, for example, in the intake process, one of the things I've seen the workers down there do. And it's very interesting to watch is that like before they kind of place a student or kind of know where they where they are, they'll ask them some of those basic questions about, hey, these colors, what do you know about? Look at tell me these colors. Can you count to here? Can you do what happens, particularly in light of this pandemic where we've had. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of issues, whether it's with, uh, uh, you know, ransomware. We've had a, we have had covid. What does that look like in an early childhood classroom when you're trying to build up students? But even even then, you can see a deficit in some kids. How do you, how do the teachers deal with that part of the work? So the last couple of years have been really challenging for early childhood. I mean, when you think about um, a system going remote and us, you know, offering remote instruction to three and three and five, you know, three to five year olds, right? Um, that was a challenge. That was like something never done before. And even with our birth to three program, a home visiting program going remote. So the last few years have been extremely challenging and our teachers have really, um, you know, risen to the occasion. And so has our home visiting staff. Um, but with early childhood, especially the impact we're seeing is the lack of experiences. So when you think about a three-year-old now, how old were they when the pandemic started? So they were back, you know, what, 18 months old or so. 
And the lack of interactions, the normal interactions that young children have, be it interacting with cousins, going mm-hmm. with their families to the grocery store, um, being um, with um, other children in play situations in parks or park district programs and things like that. Kids have not had a wide variety of those interactions. And social-emotional development is is really the foundation for all learning and building those trusting relationships, also learning language and things like that. And one of the things that we have seen um, for a lot of our young kids is there's been a lack of that experience. When you think about our program as a whole, Typically, we have about 1,000 to 1,200 three-year-olds enrolled. They roll up to fours, then they roll up to kindergarten. And most of our kiddos that are in our program have had at least two full years of preschool before they hit kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Well, with the pandemic this year alone, 640 Mm. about of our Mm four-year-olds are first-time school experience kiddos. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, 200 additional kids when they were three were in a remote learning situation with us two years ago. So, you know, when you think about the experience of our young kids hitting kindergarten next year, there is going to be an impact, um, you know, and I think it'll be felt. I think it was felt this year in kindergarten when they had a lot of kids coming in that maybe finished their last year of early childhood um, in a remote situation or with frequent disruptions to learning. It really comes down to kids having trusting relationships, understanding how to be at school. Um, What does it look like to share? Um, How can I, you know, take risks in my learning um, when I haven't had experiences interacting with other adults, be it trusting adults or, you know, uh, you know, just other adults in general out out in public. So. You know, the, the pandemic has really has impacted. It's going to mm-hmm. take a while, sure, I sure. think, for kiddos to to um, and families really to get back to that. Um, I'm excited to say we're almost fully enrolled this year. Uh, excellent. Um, and so, but our our rooms just not only has uh, our other grades been feeling it too, but mm-hmm. early childhood teachers have been profoundly feeling it. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you think about it, you have a room of twenty. Mm-hmm. three and four-year-olds <laughs> who some don't have really great language skills when they start. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they've been the only child or have not had interactions outside of the home and now they're thrust into a situation where I have to learn to get along with 19 other sure. three or four-year-olds sure. and a teacher that's keeping me on a routine, you, you start to see some of those challenging behaviors. Gotcha. Let me let me ask you about... Um just for those uh, who are listening, who don't, who, who have never probably visited an early childhood classroom or don't know what that environment is like, um, I, for, I don't remember a lot of things about my education, but for whatever reason, I remember I went to Little People's Place way back in the day. It was like my EC place. And my teacher, Miss Ann, is still teaches in our system. And shout out to Miss Ann. Um, but talk to I love what you said too because one of the things when I visit EC like you said get the play because mm-hmm. that's important you got to learn how to play with others and my other far, my, my other favorite part of EC classrooms is nap time mm-hmm. um, uh, but but what is what so what does a normal kind of day look like what is what is what is a just tell 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 the tell the folks about like what what a, what a current kind of what is that what does that day look like for for a teacher uh, and the people who work in that set in that environment? 
So we run, um, it, it really is a very structured daily routine. So when I say that we get paid to play, um, if you do it well, it's a very um, hard, intentional job. Okay. <laughs> it, if a teacher, if it looks, if, you know, I used to say if, if what you're seeing in my classroom looks like play and kids are interacting and, and uh, engaged, then I've done my job. But there's a lot of prep planning that goes into that and intentionality. Okay. So our daily routine consists of an arrival routine where kids are greeted warmly. Um, they are all learning their self-help skills as far as taking off my coat, hanging it up, you know, getting things out of backpacks, um, depending on the teacher's schedule within the building as far as their gym time and things like that. They may move into a large group time where there is a morning message, a review of the day, songs, maybe a story um, that happens at that point in time. They may move into what we call work time. That's the cornerstone of our um curriculum and our day. It is an hour of uninterrupted um, center time is the easiest way to describe it for what other people would say. It, we call it work time because play is a child's work. But that starts with a planning. So the teachers ask the children, what are you going to do today? So when you think about how that translates into older grades, you know, when you're starting to do something, you have to, you have to make a plan. And so children have an opportunity to explain their plans, either visually using pictures if they don't have words yet, or um, telling the teacher um, what they're going to play, where they're going to work, and what their work is going to do and, and entail. And so then the children um, go to their areas that they have decided to work. And we have a block area. We have a dramatic play area. We have an art area. Um, we have a reading area. Um, some teachers have, like, you know, a fine motor area, a few other areas. But those are our basic areas, a science area. And the room is very intentionally arranged um, using best standards. We actually have a framework that we arrange our rooms by. So there's a lot of hands-on materials there. During that one hour, the teacher's role and our paraprofessional's role in the classroom is to actively engage and play with children. They are actually facilitators of play. So the children take the lead on it, and it's the teacher's role to continue to scaffold learning, to ask questions, to build content knowledge while they're playing. A well-designed early childhood classroom can work on any of the learning domains in any of those centers, which is why I say it's very intentional. So they have that hour. They do something at the end called recall where they then describe the work that they've done. Again, that's that whole, it's a plan, do, review process. They will have a small group opportunity where they are split into small groups again, um, where the teacher has planned a small group activity. Um, and then they have a gross motor time. And in, involved in all of that is just your normal transitions throughout the day and things like that. But that is your basic shell, I would say, gotcha. or outline right. of an early sure. childhood day. That's awesome. You know, I was at Summerdale last week and I, I just got on the floor and started playing with the kids. It's just fun uh and i and i and i so i i i i understand what you're saying there and uh it's just great to watch how they do that and you're right it's it's intentional right and they plan that let me ask you just a little bit about um you know one of the things i've never understood and i'll just say about our state is you know we we talk about the importance of getting off to a good start and making sure that you know children have that foundation but for whatever reason, somebody made the decision way back when to just make fun K through 12, right? And early childhood is there's, there's, there's all these grants, right? I, 
I, you don't have to tell me why. So I'll say it for you. We should fund early childhood, right? All the way through. Um, it just makes no sense to me. But how do you how do you deal with you? One of the things I know you have to deal with often is because of the grant funding, it's so heavily regulated. How do you how do you navigate those waters um, when you're dealing with in, in that environment around funding and making sure you follow all those different rules? Yeah. So um, I think part of it's a mindset thing. I'll just I'll say that um, that's that's one of the way I always look at it is, you know, the state of Illinois is not the only state that uses grant funding to fund early childhood programs. I think that's something nationwide that um, really, you know, the traditional education is K-12. And yet there's this large push to offer programs, whether it be through federal Head Start, through state funding of preschool programs. And and with that, as a grant, there comes the responsibilities of the, of the compliance pieces and things like that. So when I say it's a mindset for me, all of the programs, whether it's the, the request for proposal, what the state has put out as, this is our framework, how are you going to implement it, or even the compliance pieces, what I know is that they are all grounded in research. When the state makes changes, say we have to navigate changes a lot of times with our funding cycles, where the state puts in a different requirement or something else like that. I guess it comes from the understanding that everything that they're doing is based on best practice and research based. So that so that's comforting to you. It, it's very comforting, and for okay. me, I want to run, um, and actually not run. I want to be a part of. Okay. Um, you know, a high quality program that that is designed to get results for young children. Because, gotcha. like I said earlier, kids in Rockford deserve the best. Sure. And. I have yet to see as cumbersome as some of the regulations are and like details of what our day should look like and things like that. I know in my heart it comes from research that if you implement with fidelity, kids will have better outcomes. And that's what we want. We want our kids entering kindergarten ready. So yes, it is. And it can be unnerving to say we're at a grant funded program and this is year five, you know, next year is year five of a five year grant, five year grant cycle. Yes, we're going to have to write again. Mm. No, I don't know what the state has involved for us. I don't know what that's going to look like. And then there's the wait for the money. Right. But, you know, having having the compliance checks and monitoring, which our, you know, our program is has experienced, um, gives us a way to focus our efforts on quality improvement and again, knowing that it's not just some made-up thing. These are we have a lot of tools that we can use that support best practice. And so it's not that it's somebody's opinion or things like that. I mean, anything that the state uses, like for our quality monitoring, is a research-based tool that gotcha. is used nationwide or worldwide. So let me pick up on that right there. Just and, and I know you kind of you already kind of talked about this, but um, I just want to make sure just that I I, I heard you correctly. Um, you talked about. Um, the the environment you talked about the um, structured intentional playtime. What are what are some of the things that as they progress through the year that you the teachers that you all are looking for to say, okay, this this child is is learning is you know they're learning some of the basic things that we are that we've been teaching or that we expect them to learn. What are some just some high level things when you look at that they should be ready for kinder that that they they'll you know that you can what are those signs? What are those skills? What do those look like? What do those look like? Yeah. What, what how do you what do you see? So one thing uh, I don't know that everybody knows is that early childhood does have state learning standards that are aligned to kindergarten common core. 
So um, there's a direct alignment there. So we cover all the different learning areas. And so when you think about something, um, it's a progression of, it wouldn't just be a year. I would look at from a three-year-old entering our program to a four-year-old leaving our program, right? It's all very based... um, it's developmental. There's a child development aspect there. You can't drill and kill some of this into kids because it's developmental. Okay. So if you look at motor <laughs> skills, you'll see kids go from, um, you know, being very coordinated running and, and um, you know, walking to um, some of their fine motor skills with I can pick up a crayon and I can make some scribble marks to in writing. They'll move from just making marks on a, on a paper to um, making letter like symbols to actually doing some um, initial letters Mm, to, mm. um, you know, as they learn some of the different um, letter sounds and things like that, doing inventive spelling for writing to dictating to a teacher what their picture is versus them actually pretending to write. Sure, sure. And then being able to tell a teacher, well, this is what I said. So you see that through progression with writing, through motor, gross motor skills, they'll go from, um, you'll see them go from walking and, and running to climbing, to jumping, to hopping, to catching a ball, to throwing a ball, things like that. Um, with some of the um, language development, we may have children come in where they um, only have a few words, thank you, only have a few words to say or can only label pictures to actually using more complex sentences or using more descriptive words. It's not just a truck, it's a big red truck, right? So they start adding some of those um, other vocabulary words, which actually is some of that basic math vocabulary, right? You start hearing things like big, little, heavy, light. So everything is a progression through child development, but it all aligns to our standards and it'll move from doing things with teacher assistance to without teacher assistance okay. as they move through that. So that's, that's, that's actually, uh, I mean, I, 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 that, I love the way you describe that because that actually just gives a better picture uh, that to, it just to your point about being research-based. It's not just play, but there are, it's very intentional. Yeah, that's part of it. But you're trying to, as you say, develop them right along the way. I love that term you use, <laughs> drill and kill. Yeah, it's not drill and kill. <laughs> and you know, there's there's a huge intentionality to our to with our teachers. And it's about asking the right questions. It's it's about um, not assuming. So I, I'm gonna give an example of what I experienced in a classroom one day. So I walked into a classroom and um, I sat down in the block area to interact with a young child who was building this structure. And to me, it looked like a house, okay? Now, if I'd have said, you know, oh, is that your house or something like that, right? The, the kid would have been pigeonholed into oh, thinking, oh, it must be the house, right? So it's about asking the question and, and engaging in the work with the child. And I asked her to tell me about it. Tell me about what you're doing. And she's going on and, and she's starting to say things about these are the rooms and stuff like that. So in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I'm right. It's a house, right? And as we get into it, you know, I'm like, well, what, you know, what are these structures right here? Because there was this little thing right next to the house. And she goes, oh, well, that's what you walk on to get onto my house. Well, tell me more. What do you mean? Well, it turns out she was building a houseboat. Now think about it. Uh. A three or four year old in the middle of Rockford, Illinois, you know, building a houseboat. And so, you know, you just keep asking that, well, I wonder what this is and those type of questions. And it turns out she had had an experience in the summer where they had taken a trip 
on the Mississippi on uh, a houseboat. That's all right. And the child was able to then tell me all about all the different things she would see on the river. And th- but if I had gone in there with just this, oh, she's building a house and I'm going to I'm going to take the conversation there. Sure. Instead, being curious and wonder about it with the child, there was so much more rich information that I could continue then to build upon to gain more information about different things that she knew or could learn. And so um, th- there is a real talent to early sure. childhood. Sure. And it is it really is about being just as curious about their learning as the kids are about the world in general too because you have, awesome. to, you have to stay that That's way awesome. to be able to do that one of the things that i know you you were instrumental in and helped kind of make happen which i think is fantastic was when we uh, did our collaboration with the city of rockford with head start mm-hmm. um I, I when i'm in buildings i see them in classrooms kind of working with alongside our teachers just briefly i mean how, how did that how did that come about and then why was that important for kind of us to kind of work with them and, and how, how is that working to, in, you know, how did, that has been a labor of love. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go, Kim, keep it real. That's what this podcast is about. Real keep it, <laughs> keep it um, real, Kim. <laughs> it might not have been an easy journey, but um, no, I think if you go back years ago, um, when I first entered into this role, we had a, a really kind of an initial collaboration with Head Start that my predecessor had done where We had two teachers um, working inside a Head Start facility. So, you know, Head Start is federally funded. Um, It's been one of the longest running, you know, early childhood programs, you know, around nationwide. And what what we were experiencing was really competition. It's the easiest way to put it. Um, We had a very large, strong early childhood program. Head Start had a very well-established program. And um, what we were looking for is a way to merge funding to provide more comprehensive services to children. So when this when this first started, the preschool program in the state of Illinois did not require family support services. That was a cornerstone of Head Start. Um, and yet our preschool program required certified teachers, licensed teachers, Head okay. Start did not. Gotcha. And so when we were looking at the population of Rockford, at what we wanted to do, we also didn't want things happening like Head Start might have a waiting list of kids to get into their program where we had openings. And yet, because their requirements were that they maintain a waiting list, we might have had kids in Rockford not getting served gotcha. with openings. And so it really opened the door for conversations on how can we work together to not only identify the children in Rockford that need us the most, um, that may be experiencing multiple risk factors, how can we as a district provide a more comprehensive program um, with more for more kids? I mean, basically, it was a merging of best practices found in the Head Start framework with best practices in the Illinois State Board of Ed framework. Um, interestingly enough, the early childhood grant from ISBE required a relationship with ah, Head Start. I thought I heard it, you say that. It, yeah, it, it, there's always been a requirement that we do co screening, um, co collaboration. Um, but it never outlined exactly what that could look like. And I'm going to tell you the work we've done here has been highlighted statewide, really, because a lot of people say, how do you work so closely with Head Start? Because we don't have that in our community. Like (laughs) there's still that competition thing going on or or not that direct collaboration. So what we did, um, George Davis was instrumental in this years ago when he was part of that and Joanne Lewis uh, originally heading up Head Start. 
we liked it to an arranged marriage um, where, you know, George and I were like, this would be a really great idea mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for us to do this. And like, let's figure out how to, how to, how to work this a little bit better. So we started small. Um, there had been the two, we had two teachers that had been in their buildings. Basically what they did is they closed one of their facilities. We opened Dennis. Um, they wanted to go bigger um, and, and really getting certified staff in front of kids in Rockford was important to both of us as programs um, and making sure we could do that. And Head Start teaching assistants um, or Head Start teachers at the time became our co-teachers with us. Um, and so they had a little bit more of a child development background, too, more so than maybe some of our paraprofessionals would have. And so we were... We were looking at a way to increase the number of kids Rockford Public Schools could serve, um, add comprehensive wraparound services that Head Start had embedded in their grant. And at the same time, it was kind of a perfect storm. The state of Illinois was starting to take some of those Head Start practices with family support and some of those comprehensive wraparound services. And they were starting year after year to embed those into our grant, right? So it gave us an opportunity to do that. Well, I'll just say, you know, you know, to your point about one of the few communities that do this, kudos to all involved. I think mm-hmm. uh, that all makes sense, right? As you, because ultimately it's about the kill, the, the children, right, and trying to get to them and get the. So help this. One of the things I've, I've never understood, just along those same lines, help me understand. Then there are so many quote unquote childcare facilities mm-hmm. in our community, in many communities. Um. Are, are some of these people, I guess they, they have to get some licensing, but we don't have all the three-year-olds. No. What, what about parents who just, for convenience, for money, for funding, for whatever, who say, I'm going to drop my child off at ABC Daycare? Um, do we, are they just, do they just operate independently? Do we have any interaction with them? Does that, does it end up uh, hurting children once they kind of get to kind of kinder? Like, how does that all work in our system with all, I mean, with all of these childcare providers, they're all over. And so what, how do you all deal with that? So there's, um, I guess what I would like to, to, to say is that we need to look at um, education of children under the age of five as an early care and education. Families, for a variety of reasons, need different things. They may need child care starting very early, um, in the morning or late. They may make different choices based on family needs, like you said. So I am extremely proud of the state of Illinois in the work that they're doing to create a high-quality early care and education system birth to five. Um, you know, we've had we've been very fortunate over the years to have a couple of governors that have really pushed it. We still have a governor that's very much pushing this um, across the board. And so the state of Illinois actually has a quality rating system. And so there's standards set um, for programs from um, Head Start programs to our preschool for all programs through the state to child care. And it um, provides an opportunity for all of those programs to get um, observations completed, a review of their work, basically a monitoring visit for the lack of something better to say, where they get information on that. And so it's like this, uh, you, can get a, you can get a basic licensing for a child care. You have to make basic licensing for DCFS. That would be one way. There's also then something called a bronze level where there, there's, whether it's professional learning or the credentialing of teachers and things like that for a child care, they could get that. Or they can move into silver or gold. And so there are standards in our industry, and it really is an industry, Um, for care and early education for children under the age of five. 
and all programs kind of adhere to those standards. So what, what sets a preschool program like Rockford Public Schools apart from a child care is we do have licensed teachers, we do have higher pay, we have benefits, we have things like that. But what the state is doing, and actually there's a push nationwide, um, also from the federal government, is, is and the pandemic really showed this, right? Mm-hmm. Everything kind of shuts down if there isn't childcare. Sure. You know, quite honestly. <laughs> That's very true. You know, and so the importance, like while we've always, those of us in the field have always felt that importance, mm-hmm. it really, the pandemic really, you know, yep. put that flashlight Abs- on it. Absolutely. And so now, they're starting to do things like pump money in to to raise the level of pay mm. in childcare settings to attract mm. teachers with degrees and and so in these quality rating systems you know if a childcare has teachers with a bachelor's degree or licensing that's a higher standard than if they just have associates level teachers or just teachers with high high school diplomas right so there is a push nationwide but absolutely in our state to get um, all care facility, any any program that cares for a child under the age of five to the highest quality following the best practices because that's the only way Illinois is going to move forward or the nation's going to move forward is is to more equalize that a little bit. So while we don't have any direct um, contact with a variety of child cares, just like we have our Head Start collaboration, we do have a collaboration with a local child care, okay. which is Circles of Learning. Okay. It's been a long-standing collaboration, mm-hmm. too, where um, at that location, um, we do have um, certified teachers that um, are on site during the school day okay. there. So for you know that is an opportunity for that kind of a, a collaboration. I will say Head Start also has collaborations with some local child okay, cares okay. to actually then embed the Head Start framework within child cares. Okay. And so I think within our city, there's a couple of different things going on, but statewide, mm. nationwide, the work is to elevate all of that and to recognize and honor the work that um, our child cares are doing and also provide them with more infrastructure, professional learning, support, um, structures. Um, recently, you know, the state of Illinois put out a, uh, a grant that um, was paying for for teachers currently or staff currently working in childcare or preschool um, programs an opportunity to get their license to have scholarship gotcha. money to pay for it to to really um, push higher institutions to develop programs that take into account that they're working. These are working individuals in childcare and we need higher education um, offerings after work so that they can get their teacher's license. And that that recently came through as part of a, a push that was signed into law last July, which I'm very excited to see. It's just gonna help the whole, it's gonna help us as a, as a K-12 system, where we're actually a pre-K system, but it's gonna help school districts if every child no matter where they're at, sure, gets sure, a high quality sure. experience. Right? That's truly true. That's thank you for that. That's truly fascinating, right? To see, you know, to, to talk to all those collaborations and mm-hmm. everyone kind of wanting the same things for for our youngest learners. Um, just a few more questions, Kim. Just as we wind down here, um, one of the things about our kind of system here. Um, so, in your role, you have you have a group of 
there's like a, there's an administrative level of, of group who who kind of work on would do the grants and then work with the the principals, work with the intake process, work with the buildings. So you have there's a there's an administrative kind of function. Then there's like an intake process, and then there's like the buildings where all the work happens. I'm, I'm I want to ask you about the the intake process. You got a great group, great great group of of, of staff down there. They they do great work. Um, what what is that? What does that screening look like? As as our country diversifies, and you have you know uh, all sorts of learn whether it's English as a second language learners, bilingual, we get we get uh, all different type of cultures who 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 come in, um, and we, you know we're trying to find the right place for them. What what's what is the screening process like to where? Um, you all then kind of have to make a decision mm-hmm. to say either, hey, this 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 child um, doesn't know that needs more work in this area, or, or or how do you play? Or this child needs to be in this particular program, or this child needs to be in this particular school. Like, what is that like? Okay, so um, early childhood is different from the K twelve system in that we are required to do a family interview, to screen a child for um, just development, um, which also includes a vision and hearing screening. So it's part of um, our requirement of, of having children come in. One of the reasons we do do that is one, as part of our child find process, as a district, we're required um, to um, child find. So if a child is showing, um, you know, uh, possible delays and things like that, right? We may we may need to do further testing. So as part of child find, you know, the screening process is, is also part of that. But we also use the screening information and the information from the family interview to make determinations about not as a child eligible, but which program, like you said. And, and again, I hate to say this goes back to some of our grant funding, but it does. So with our collaboration with Head Start, children need one of the things is income re- income requirement, right? So children need to be at 100% or below the pop, federal poverty level. So we do that family interview. We do gather income information for our preschool program, again, because it's required by our by the state fund, our state grant and also for Head Start. So that's a piece of it. We do have a, a f- um, full day program available for four-year-olds. Um, there is um, allowability to en- enroll some three-year-olds as a priority, but it really is for our, full, our four-year-olds. That grant program also is income-based. It is you know, based on 200%. You know, a priority placement is for 200% of the federal poverty level for children there, right? That's the way the state has set that up. And then we have our regular half-day preschool program. So our screening the information we gather from it, from the developmental screening, from the family interview, the family interview may um, give us information that says, hey, this kiddo is, this is English as a second language. So then we're going to need to then screen for English proficiency. That'll be a piece of that, too, because that'll determine um, whether a child needs to be in a classroom with an English as a second language endorsed teacher or a teacher that speaks um, that child's language. Um we also look at risk factors because the initial um, premise of the early childhood program way back when, when the state was first getting started with this, was to, to provide opportunities for children who are experiencing risk factors or families who are experiencing risk factors who may not be able to access the normal early childhood care, right, through child cares or private preschools and things like that. So we do use the information we gather through that family interview form. Um, through our developmental screening, through our vision and hearing screening, and, and our English proficiency screening, to determine 
other types of risk factors a family may be experiencing. A family may be experiencing homelessness. A family um, may be, um, have immigrant status coming in. Um, we may have families that are teen parents. So it's things that may, they, these, these kind of risk factors don't always impact a child's outcomes. They may, right? So these are things that our program, you know, the early childhood program is really designed to help support not just the child, but the family. So we use that information really to make a determination of what is a family eligible for. A family may be eligible for any one of our three programs, our collaboration with Head Start, our full day program or half day program, and then it becomes a family's decision. What works best? We do place children at their closest EC center. So there is a piece of that that goes in there. Like we look at, you know, where the child's address is and where they're placed. But really, um, that whole screening process is really designed for us to identify risk factors that may be impacting the child or family. And we have, we're required by the state, this is one of those requirements, to use a weighted eligibility form, again, designed by the state, in placement. So say I get down to, I only have one seat left and I have a waiting list. I'm required to place by highest priority. Gotcha. So it's a very important piece of that process. Yes. And then we do share that information with our teachers. If we have a kiddo that didn't do well on the developmental screening, we go out and rescreen them. Okay. This is a kid's first experience of coming with strangers. Sure. So I know. So I know one of the things I know you all you you've done a lot of work. Uh, we've you know I, I was there kind of the um, the early uh, developmental instrument, and you guys have done some mm-hmm. great work yes. with EDI. Let me just, but just more on a kind of a local kind of level for anyone who's interested in either helping with any of uh, the work that you all are doing with with uh, our youngest learners. Um, if there's people who uh, people who have fundraisers all the time, what what are, is there is there any if people want to help is how can how can someone get plugged? What are first let me ask you what are some of the things that if a community organization wanted to help and drop off, what do you think? What do our schools need? Is there anything that is there any materials that they can drop off? Or is there any way they can volunteer to help? Or is there anyone they can contact? How do people who want to help? Is there anything that you can you need? Um, I would say for some of our schools, I know a couple of our schools have like um, clothing closets maybe. Um, we always are in need of extra um, snow boots and snow pants because early childhood is required to go outside as long as it's warm enough. Um, and that means you do go outside in the snow. Um, so some of our buildings have that. I, I don't know that I would say which building or anything. I think that's really a contact individual buildings. If, if people are really interested in donating something, they can actually let me know and I can try to connect them okay. um, with buildings. But as far as getting involved in volunteering, I do want to put a plug out there for something called the Ready to Learn Movement. Rockford Public Schools has been very much instrumental in that. You mentioned the early development instrument, which is just a... It's a it's a community data set basically. It's um, it's a survey given to that t- kindergarten teachers complete on um, students that second semester. We did the first wave of this three years ago, and we use that community data, which really is is not attached to schools. It's attached to census tracts, and it helps us to identify pockets of vulnerabilities and strengths within our community based on how the children are doing. And, and again, the strength of a community really can can be shown and and how are the kids how are the young children right because if the young children are thriving your community's thriving if the young children are not right then there's community work and really um getting kids ready for kindergarten is not just the the role of the school district it's just not it's 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 a community it's a community um 
push, really, because kids have to be healthy. In order to be healthy, they have to have access to health care. They have to have access to food. We, we can't be working on, um, you know, students learning if they're food insecure. So it is a community-based push. So what, what the Ready to Learn movement has done is they've taken this data that is backtracked to census. We've had community conversations three years ago trying to gain context on the data, like data's data until we know the story behind it. So what's going on in certain pockets of our community where strengths are evident or where there are vulnerabilities? How can we as a community shift resources um, to help support them? So if, if somebody was interested in really supporting early learning, um, I would say to get in contact with Alignment Rockford. Um, they're our backbone organization for the Ready to Learn movement. We have lots of different um, committees going on that are supporting things. Um, one of our exciting things we were able to write for additional grant funding um, through the Ready to Learn movement, it's called the Parenting Saturation Grant. We're in a, I think we're in year two of that grant, but it really was looking at how can we provide resources to the communities to support early learning at different levels? What could be available access to all? What could be available to some? And what could be available like in these tier three programs, which our home visiting program, early intervention, our preschool program are considered the top of the tier. So when I talk about universal access, there's something out there um, exciting. We wrote for it in our grant, which was kind of partnering and piggybacking off of Boston Basics, which is um, a website that has a lot of great information. You know, if you do these five things, if parents sure. focus on these five things, sure. because we put that in our grant, the state of Illinois picked up on that. Um, another community had also been doing something like that. And from that, instead of us just doing it, Illinois Basics was born, which That's is awesome. actually a mirroring of that. That's awesome. So it's a great way to put a universal support out there. That's fantastic. Beginning with Babel, we've got a lot of things going on with some parenting workshops and things like that. But any organization or any um, individual that's really passionate about this work, getting connected with the Ready to Learn movement would be the best way to go. There's opportunities now, but awesome. we're just getting ready with our second wave of data to again engage the community in a conversation. What's what's changed over the last three years? Sure, <laughs> and, sure. and there was a pandemic yeah. in there. So, <laughs> so there's going to be more work uh -huh. that can drive more community support, but the work in early childhood is a, is community work, absolutely. not just ours. We're just a piece of it. Absolutely. So, Kim, you're in charge, right? If I gave you, I just said, Kim, today, this week, you are you are the governor. You are the govern. You are over ISBE. You are over chi early childhood for the state. Um, what what do you think? What's like the one thing that you think? the big improvement that needs to be made that you would like to see made if that you think would really move the needle that's not currently in place. If you just had, I just gave you the big ball of wax and gave you all the money, gave you all the resources, gave you all the power. <laughs> Kim, you got it. Right? Wow, that's, what, that's loaded. And, uh, <laughs> what's, like, what, 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 what would you do in your, um, based on what you've seen through the years, based on your expertise, based on um, whether it's facilities, whether it's, you know, what what what, what do you think would really help uh, teachers, what would help families, and what would help, as you say, the kiddos in a way that um, would really just, just help early childhood just take off? So I think there's a couple of things. I think one, and I think the work has started, I think the state needs to look at its funding model for early childhood. Okay. Um, 
whether it's the use of evidence-based funding or, or whatever. What I have seen from a state level in, in my interactions with different programs around the state, we're fortunate in Rockford. Um, we have a large program. We have somebody, not that it's me, but we have somebody dedicated to making sure that program um, is off. What I've seen statewide, especially downstate and smaller communities, if there's not somebody dedicated to that, those districts don't go after the grant because it's a lot of work, right? And so if, 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 if the state could look at its funding model and really get it so that, it, that access is really for all, smaller districts would be able to take advantage of that and could, could look at starting a program. And so I think in order for the state of Illinois to get there, that they have to look at that. And I, I know that work has started. I also know that there needs to be more money pumped in. Um, when I look at what we, you know, are funded for, even just between my different grants, you know, I, I've got a full day grant that's more comprehensive, has more requirements, which is great, but it also offers, offers more services. For example, coaching for teachers is embedded into that grant. Well, it's not in the other one. Right. So I think the state needs to look at building the infrastructure and getting things in place Mm -hmm. to support all teachers, to take the new things coming out of research um, and to to make funding available for those kind of things. But that also still comes back to the workforce issue, which, again, I alluded to earlier with, you know, there's a lot of talented people even working in childcare that did not have the opportunity or the the money to get professional educator licenses. So when when you think about it, it's it's not a one. And I mean there needs to be work done on infrastructure Mm -hmm. and providing um, and developing the workforce Mm -hmm. and and getting some equality there on that. Mm -hmm. And um, across the board making sure that our workforce is diverse, Mm -hmm. um, that it looks like our kids Mm -hmm. um, and our families. And I think part of that is is what they did with this um, scholarship funding mm-hmm. for for teachers and, mm-hmm. and staff already working in childcare mm-hmm. or in head starts that may not have had the opportunity to go to college sure. right to do that so we need to diversify our workforce um, we need to make sure that the systems that we're putting in place um, have equity at a base um, that we're looking at access and that we're removing barriers for access and when I say that um, we need funding across the board for transportation. Um, statewide, not just here. I mean, here, mm-hmm. yes, but you know, and of course, I know we need drivers. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, give me the money, but give me the drivers. <laughs> um, but when you look at access and, and barriers that families face, mm-hmm. I'm a working parent. I've got a, there's a half day program. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to get my kid at half day mm-hmm. and get them to preschool or school hours are this, but my work hours are this. So there's a transportation piece there. That also could be solved by some facility things from, from facility works, grants for construction grants to build EC centers that um, can maybe operate more, um, not just the school day, have the space to do that. Um, I don't, Earl, I, I wish I was the, you know, whatever of everything. Um, and you put me on the spot for that no, question. That was, no, but you, you, that was a great, that. But there's a lot. Yeah, but that's a great answer. Thank you. Kind of, I love the, I love <laughs> There's a lot. There's like, know, it's but a multi prong problem. But, right. But, but it's okay though. What you, that, what you just kind of gave, like, here's some of the, the big improvements yeah, that need to be it's, made. It's a big one. Uh, before we end here, I just want to say we don't, we don't do this enough. Um, we, in our work, oftentimes we are, we try to remain humble. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say when we talk about Kimberly Nelson, we're talking about the, 
the, the gold star. They they get gold. They get recognized by the state. This program. When we talk about fortunate, it's the work of her and her team, and yeah, my and, team. and many it's great not me. It's and my many team. great. See, there's that humility, <laughs> but many great people in our system. But just so everyone knows, we uh, it is it is a recognized program in our state. Um, for the quality uh, that they that they deliver for our for our families and our students, and so I just want to a- a- acknowledge that. Um, and and I don't do it enough too because this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is the award winning two hundred five vibe podcast. Um, but we have to say that sometimes because um, you know okay, I'm giving I'm giving your flowers right now, Kim, because I know but you've it been doing this. But it's not just me. I need to say I know that it, I, know I have it, I know an it. amazing team you, of people and, and it that is, and, supports and it, this. And, it's, and, and in our system, that's what it's all yeah. about, right? It's 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 many hands uh, who make well, life work. It is, work. And, and, and I'm going to say, Earl, I, and I do mean this wholeheartedly, and and um, I'm not trying to earn points here. Um, if we did not have the support of Dr. Jarrett, I don't know that we'd have been able to expand and have been as, um, you know, to, to actively go after some of this. Mm-hmm. And and I do mean that's that fair. wholeheartedly. I mean, I actually started in my position when he started as an assistant mm-hmm. superintendent mm-hmm. here. And, you know, when we got ready to write the grant one year, I remember going to him like, um, I'm sorry, like, I don't know if I'm funded. Like, do I like do we, do we riff people like what do we do with this? And um, he has been 100 um, percent, you know, all in on early childhood. Y- yes, and, he has. And honestly, and I and again, I'm not trying to earn brownie points here, but when I talk with other um people in my position in other districts that don't have a uh, supportive superintendent. Um, and then Board of Education. That's awesome. To that. And I know he has to, to work with that and, yeah, and things yes. like that. We're extremely fortunate. And I don't know sometimes that people in our system, at least in the early childhood department, I'm not sure we've had the early childhood program so long. I think it's just kind of a given. Sure. But I have conversations with people across the state and my colleagues. And I have colleagues working in systems where early childhood is undervalued. And they don't have that kind of support. So, you know, our success as a program has really grown from um, having a successful, you know, ha- having somebody in at the district level, Aaron, you know, Heidi, you know, all of these people that support us and and help provide the conditions for us to go after these grants, to continue to work on this improvement, to believe in us as a program awesome. and things like that. So shout out, I, shout out to EJ. Shout, shout out, out to EJ. It, it to, is a to shout out. I am not trying to earn points here, but, so, but, but it's true. It. It's awesome. true because I, there's a lot of people not as fortunate. Last question. Okay. This is quick. This is, we ask everyone this. Everyone who comes okay. on the 205 Vibe podcast gets these questions. So Kim Nelson. Um, it's, if, if it's, if say it's, it's a special occasion mm-hmm. or if it's, it's, a, it's your birthday or you, um, uh, there's somewhere you want to go or something you really want, what would be like either your favorite restaurant to go to, or what is your favorite food? Like, if, like any, like you go to like, like this is my go-to dish that I could eat anytime, anywhere. What would that be? My go-to food is always pizza. Pizza. (laughs) There it is. Okay. The second question, part of this question. When Kim Nelson is just chilling, you know, you're at home or, you know, you're just relaxing. What is a movie that comes that you could always watch over and over again? Or what's like a TV show that's on right now that you have to see? Okay. There's not a TV show I have to say, but I'm almost embarrassed to say this. Say it. Say it. Oh my gosh, I am a Star Trek fan. Yes! 
Next generation yes. all the way, yes. but yes, I see, am a Star Trek fan. This is what we love about these podcasts. We get to see. I didn't know that. I get to. We get to learn something else about Kim Nelson that I know. we did not know. Last question: You um you jump in your car, uh, or you're relaxing again. You you're at home. Um, what does Kim Nelson when you turn on the radio or put in your favorite or if you're streaming? Um, what are you listening to? Is there a particular genre of music that you like or is there a particular artist? Which, what are you listening to? I am totally a country girl. <laughs> <laughs> I like to listen to the country radio station. I love it. I am also a class. I, I do. I do play piano. So I do enjoy Like if I need to calm down and just kind of like take a moment, I will throw on some classical music. But in my car on my way to work, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the country I love station. it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only. Kim Nelson, we thank you for your time. Thank I really you. appreciate you sharing and uh, thank you for what you do. It's, oh, it's, thank you. Thank you for having a, the opportunity. It's an honor. <laughs> thank right. you. All right. Take okay. care, everyone. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the 205 Vibe podcast. Subscribe to the 205 Vibe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening now. Check out the blog, videos, and news on rps205.com slash 205 vibe.